listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. You're listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. yourself to the latest rocks news you're listening to launchpad podcast presented by apollo media all houston all original i am your host lashar binkley of course you can find me on twitter at htoplight40 and you can always find me on the dream shake um, i actually had a couple articles come out this past week so make sure you check that out um as usual make sure you're following the main apollo account at apollo hou as well hit the subscribe button for itunes spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast we will greatly appreciate it and on today's show, we have a very special guest, actually a returning guest, a friend of the podcast who was on last year before uh, the Rockets had their um, 2021 draft. We are joined by the NBA draft dude, Corey Teller. But welcome back to the podcast. We definitely appreciate having you back on. Oh, man. Uh, honored to, to be back. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm pretty excited to talk, you know, NBA draft, but also in the context of the Rockets because Man, love what they did last year, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Uh, so thank you for uh, for inviting me back on. Oh, definitely, because the Rockets have plenty of draft picks to talk about and plenty of rookies to talk about. So uh, we always have time for draft shows here on uh, Launchpad Podcast. Uh, but before we get too far you know, deep into the woods, why don't you let everybody know where they can find all your content, because there's a lot of different places they can find your content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter, just at Corey Teleba, if you want to uh, – find it all in one spot but uh on youtube where i do you know all my draft uh video content at the nba draft dude and then um for all my written work uh, i started up a uh sub stack which is free that you can get delivered to your uh inbox every single morning monday through friday where myself and a team of seven other writers cover the draft um in written format again every day monday through friday we cover like every single prospect you could possibly think of um, and it's free. So uh, that's at noceilings.substack.com. Yeah, definitely make sure y'all check that out because as we know, the Rockets, even though they've been playing better, they're still kind of heading towards the lottery again this upcoming season. So we will definitely be deep, diving deeper and deeper as the year going to draft. And you're definitely one of the best. You and uh, just everybody at the No Ceiling NBA, something I know y'all just recently started not too long ago, are some of the best you know draft coverage I've seen out there. So I definitely always tell all Rockets fans, if you want some really good draft analysis to make sure to check out on all y'all stuff. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. We're trying to, you know, we try to cover the draft a, a, a little differently than it's ever yeah. been covered. You know, for one, we're doing it every day and no one's really ever yes. done that. Um, but you know, we, we try to tackle it in a way that we want to be really in depth and smart with our analysis, but we don't want to come off pretentious and how we're covering yeah. it either. So we keep it light. Um, and we we tow that line really well, and again we you know we hit we hit guys that uh, you you probably never heard of to all of the top guys as well. So it's been uh, it's been really fun doing this and launching this project that you know we launched only like two and a half three months ago. Yeah, and uh, it's gone you know way better than we ever could have dreamed of. I got I gotta 
admit there's some there's some teams in your division that have subscribed some front office front office executives in your division that have subscribed <laughs> to the Substack. So really, you know, let's, okay. let's get let's get your uh, you know some some Houston Rockets guys to subscribe as well because there's some teams in the division where the, the front office execs they're paying attention to to what we're saying. So, so the gauntlet's been laid down, Rafael Stone. I know you follow me. <laughs> Whether you actually look at anything I tweet, I don't know. <laughs> but you do follow me as well as Matt Buller, who actually just joined the front office this past year. So, hey, y'all heard it here. Make sure y'all following No Ceilings NBA if you want additional coverage or additional <laughs> uh, additional help in your next year's draft, you know, because you can't just listen to us fans all the time. I know that we kind of don't give the greatest advice sometimes. So <laughs> make sure you're checking out the professionals. Um, before we get into the draft stuff, I do have to, of course, talk about the bad part of last night where the Rockets went down to the Warriors um, in the last second um, in, go, uh, in, uh, in California. Steph Curry hit the game winner. The Rockets had a chance right before that um, to go up at, with the game tie. Garrison Matthews missed to go ahead three. And then Steph Curry went down with a slight push off and got the game winner. <laughs> but hey, Steph Curry's a superstar. And I'm actually kind of surprised that this was his first game winner um, of his career. Actually, the first one since 2014 for the Warriors. That was kind of surprising because I guess the Oklahoma City one was still time left on the clock technically. Yeah. So that was kind of surprising. But yeah, the Rockets went down. They are now 14 and 34. And that's kind of why we wanted to have a draft show because. We're getting closer and closer to that time of year where focus is shift from the current season to the upcoming draft, even though Rockets fans have been pretty much talking about this draft since the end of the last draft. So they've already kind of been in that mode. Um, so that kind of leads me into what I want to start off talking to you about, um, Corey, is your top five picks. Because the Rockets can, at this point, they're kind of in the 3-4 slot. Um, yeah. As, as far as where they could draft, maybe even higher after last night loss. Um, so... I actually, I just checked out something that you released uh, recently where you kind of did a consensus uh, big draft board, which is really good. It helps us not having to go search around to different websites. Um, why don't you let the Rockets fans know what what the kind of consensus as far as uh, who they have going and what, you know, one, two, three, four, and five, and also uh, no ceilings NBA where they have these players going, or at least for now, uh, throughout uh, the first part of the college season. Yeah, so one of the things we do at No Ceilings is I put together um, a draft stock watch of we expanded it to the top 40 players. And every month I just take the temperature on where all the mainstream big boards are ranking prospects. And then I kind of average it out to give it a, a more consensus feel rather than, you know, one outlet and the biases that they may ha have um, for certain prospects. So, um a couple of weeks ago, we released the the 3.0 version of the the draft stock, and the top five, as far as consensus goes, is, is Chet Holmgren at number one. Jabari Smith and Paolo Boncaro uh, were both tied for the second spot for for their draft stock yeah. average. Um, Jabari did have some outlets that ranked him as number one, so I ranked him at number two and Paolo at number three. Uh, Jaden Ivey was the consensus number four. Everybody, uh, every outlet had him as the fourth best prospect. And then big man Jalen Duran at number five. Uh, now, you know, I've, I've started to update it. I haven't released it yet, but I started to update, started uh, based on some of the boards, and, and some of that will change a little bit. 
um, because, you know, the draft stock is very fluid. But those are the top five guys as of right now um, on my draft stock update. My personal board, I got some other guys in there. I have uh, A.J. Griffin in in that up in up in my top five. You, you got to pay attention to Johnny Davis as well, who I, I think is going to make his way into the top five. Um, I believe we had him at number five on the no ceilings big board, the last one that we released. So uh, those are some other guys that are hovering right in that area that I, you know, are probably, probably targets to watch and keep an eye out for. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Chet Holmgren and I know a lot of people, and it's something I saw in your video, you mentioned that maybe some people are getting a little bit, um, not tired, but they're kind of moving on to other players, newer players that not everybody has talked about as much. But, you know, you, you still had him as number one. Yeah. What do you say to people that are saying like, well, he's just mobile light. He's not, you know, he's that the, they may just kind of put them together because of their thin frame and not necessarily their game. Because, I mean, if you look at the game, the game is really not the same overall. So mm-hmm. what do you say to people that say he's more mobile light and maybe his his frame doesn't translate to the NBA uh, and reason why you still have him as number one. Well, uh, Mobley Light is probably a pretty good baseline to hit because Evan Mobley's been pretty yes. terrific this year, yeah. right? Um, uh, so I, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a bad thing for him. And like you yeah. said, their games are different. Their games are different. I believe in Chet's jump shot a little bit more uh, than I do Evans. Uh, I think Chet at the same age is a better shooter. Yeah. Uh I think defensively Chet's a better shot blocker than, than Evan. And I know that, you know, the thin frame is a concern, right? But it hasn't stopped him from being awesome at every level that he's played at. Now, when yeah. you look at it in a high school context, you go, all right, well, it's, it's high school kids. You know, most of these kids probably aren't going to play high level basketball in college. All right. Well, then you look at the FIBA tournament that USA won the golden. He was awesome there. Then you look at what he's doing in college and he's been, the most even though even if like the raw numbers aren't saying it because he's only getting like nine shots a game 10 shots a game he's playing alongside drew timmy you know who is the the number one option in the front court yeah. he still had the most impressively dominant like advanced numbers in college basketball uh his i believe some i just read somewhere that like his his box score plus minus or is like the third highest of the last 10 years behind oh, only wow. Zion and Anthony Davis, wow. uh, you know, so, and, and then when you just watch him, like he's tough as hell, like things that don't show up in the box score, he doesn't back up back down from anybody yeah. and he just swallows you up. So even if you move him out of his spot a little bit, his length and his timing and his IQ allow him to recover. And when I look at him in the context of like how he fits with the Rockets, like he's my favorite fit he that the rockets and i'm not just saying this because it's a rockets podcast like i truly think that he would be the most fun sharing a front court with shangun and then like you know he he's really compliments jalen green because he's a guy that he doesn't need a million shots to have a monstrous impact on the game he can still run like pick and rolls with jalen or or kevin porter jr like you know he just fits as a guy that He's gonna have this. He's gonna change your whole defensive outlook, while being a, a connecting piece who could still kind of, you know, get buckets on his own if you do throw him the ball. I mean, yeah. I skinny, not skinny. Like he's gonna fill out a little bit. It's not. He's he's literally finishing ninety percent at the rim this year. Yeah. 
that's not an exaggeration. He's finishing 90% at the rim. So wow. it, it hasn't been uh, an issue in college. And although you look at the NBA and you think, all right, guys are stronger and bigger and faster, which is true. The NBA is also evolving into this league where everybody's six, eight, six, nine, and you know, like you're playing smaller. So I don't think his size in, is going to hurt him. And I think the advantages he gives you with his size, his length and his fluidity at his size allows him to kind of play, be like a smaller guy, but at a, taller height so I, I i love chet and uh like i said i think people you know uh, you always want to nitpick everything and there's a lot of, lot to nitpick with all of the guys in this class but chet chet's pretty been pretty awesome this year yeah and you you mentioned he doesn't get as many shots so you just think that's just more of a product of he's playing on a really good team and the ball is not necessarily the, the offense doesn't run through him like it does for bankero with duke uh do right. you think it's just more of a case of like i said he's He's playing on a team where it's more team-oriented as far as to get everybody involved. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't think he's ever going to project as your number one option. Yeah. But I also don't really see that with many of the guys in the top five. I think Paolo, you can make the argument for. But if you're looking at it in the context of, like, Houston, like, you're probably projecting Jalen to be the number one option in the future. Uh, and not to say that you you pass on another number one option potentially just because you have Jalen Green. You take the best talent available. Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't get a lot of shots because that's not how Gonzaga plays. It's Jalen Suggs didn't get, you know, a, a ton of shots last year. Like, they spread the love. They spread the love. So it's a little bit of that. And like I say, he's playing with Drew Timmy, who's, you know, one of the uh, better players in college basketball who does get the majority of the touches from the front court position. So I, I look at it as a positive that he could still impact the game so much and not be the number one option on the team. Uh, and I think that he has stuff in his bag that he flashes every now and then. Like, you know, he, he blocked a shot on one end, brought the ball at the court and yeah. hit a, a little behind the back pull up three in semi transition, you know, last week, like he's, he shows these flashes where you're like, all right, there's clearly some stuff in his bag that he's not going to get to show in college that he's going to have in the NBA. Yeah, I think people so used to seeing Kevin Durant, they think that's normal for a <laughs> 6'11", 7'0", to bring yeah. the ball up the court and hit threes off mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a fast break. But that's not a normal thing even no. now. No. <laughs> so I mean, that's definitely something to keep in mind. And, and as far as the, the next person, uh, the number two pretty much consensus is Paulo, Paulo Bancaro. Yeah. So what do you think has been a difference for him? Because I know he started off a little bit slow. I mean, not anything crazy, but he's been playing a lot better last several games. What do you think he's done better in the last several games to where his numbers are just skyrocketing? Well, I think his scoring has been pretty consistent throughout, but I think he's reading the floor better as a playmaker recently, which is one of the things that uh, if you watched him in high school, you watched him make some really impressive reads, uh, as a, a ball handler and in the beginning of the season, he still had some moments where you saw it, but they weren't as consistent. And I think that just going through the season, guys are starting to get more comfortable in their roles yeah. and he's starting to understand the differences between like a college defense and, you know, maybe some of the like schemes you see in high school, which maybe are a little more gimmicky or not yeah. as disciplined because high school kids, you know, don't necessarily read the game as well as kids in college. 
So I just think it's uh, him evolving uh, and understanding where his guys need the ball more. And just uh, it's a, a natural evolution. But I think that's the main difference. And uh, I think the scoring's there. It's been there from the jump. I saw him in, in person at the um, Champions Classic against Kentucky. He was fantastic, and you know, I was just seeing him warm up. You're like, man, this dude is every bit of that six ten to fifty. You know, like he was a specimen there. So you you can't and the, he's he moves smooth, man. He moves like a dude who's six seven. Like yeah, he he he's not as anywhere the athlete. So I'm when I throw this out, like I, again, I'm gonna throw out the LeBron James name. Yeah, he's not even like he. I don't even know if he's the athlete that thirty-eight-year-old LeBron is, right? Most but, people aren't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but he has that same similar body type and I think handle. Uh, he doesn't have the other stuff LeBron has, and that's why he's not the consensus number one pick. But he's yeah. body-wise uh, and the way he moves kinesthetically, he's got a little bit of that like LeBron movement to him. Yeah, and so what do you think? Uh, some of the things that. Because you mentioned with Chet that he may not be a number one option. What's some of the, not necessarily weaknesses, but things that he's going to have to work on at the next level to get beyond just being a good player to a really great player? Paolo? Um, yes, Paolo, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that the the three-point shot, you know, needs to get a little bit more consistent. You know, it's not, um, it's not broken by any means. Yeah. But he's not a guy that right now you could just give the ball to and he's going to make you pay every time somebody goes under a screen. So, you know, that is something offensively that if he gets that, now you're looking at a guy who could probably lead the league in scoring one day. Uh, The other thing, and this is just, you know, I think uh, a consequence of being a, a young kid who isn't all that experienced is sometimes he loses his man off ball. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't always have his head on a swivel. So, you know, he's prone to like getting back cut sometimes. There are times where uh, like he's in the right spots in help, you know, which is a, a good thing. Um, so he'll sink in. Like if his man's in the weak side corner, he'll be, you know, at the hoop waiting in, in the right spot in help. But since he doesn't have his head on a swivel, he'll, you know, the shot goes up. He lets up some offensive rebounds because you know where his man is to box him out. It's like little stuff like that that I think are the things that he needs to improve on. But I do think that he's a better defender than people probably look at him as. I think he swallows guys up on the perimeter, and he could stick with guards. He could stick with big men. He's powerful. He's strong. He's he's switchable. He's given up his body on multiple occasions, taking charges. So he's uh, you know that that's a pretty selfless act a lot of times. I think he's a better defender than people give him credit for. He just has to clean the the little stuff up the little nuances and you know i don't expect him to be uh, a chet holmgren level defender in the league one day and i don't expect him to come in and have an impact on that end necessarily one day uh that's going to change the the fortunes of your franchise but i do think that he's going to be a good defender and he just has some little things to clean up yeah and i mean and do you see him as being able, I mean, at this point, like you said, it's so many players that are six, seven, six, eight, playing multiple positions. You, you see him being able to play either position without a problem, either center or power forward? Yeah, I think power forward is going to be like his number one spot. But I do think that he's going to be devastating offensively as a small ball five. And again, you know, he's 6'10". You know, he's yeah. 6'10", 250. He's a, he's a real physical specimen from that regard. And, you know, he's not like, super super bouncy but he's also not a slouch athletically 
Um, so I, I think that, you know, he's going to be able to protect the rim a little bit. He's got quick hands. I, I, I think that when you put him at center, it's going to, there's going to be some real interesting stuff that you could do with him. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how his game evolves the rest of the year and how he steps up in, in the tournament. Uh, Cause I think Duke's got a pretty good shot to make a, a final four run. But uh, he's he's a really interesting and intriguing guy that I, I think uh, just like Chet, like people are are looking to nitpick him a little bit. Yeah, and I, and it kind of leads us to a number three person, um, even though it's kind of maybe not necessarily a consensus. But Jabari Smith, do you see him? Well, what have you seen from him that's pretty much taken him from outside of the top five, maybe at the beginning of the year, to where he's just shooting up draft boards? And I've seen even some people have him number one overall. Yep. Um, what have you seen from him that's make that's had him had this huge jump since the beginning of the season? Yeah, he was the number seven prospect on the, yeah. the first preseason draft stock watch, and like you said, he's made his way to number one on some reputable boards. Yeah. And it starts with his shooting. He is an elite shooter. Like he's his three point shot, buttery smooth. I, and it was a question coming in, like he sh- he did show in high school that he could shoot but not like he's he's shooting at, at Auburn and it's not an aberration it's something he clearly just works on continuously um and he can hit like his spot up shots every time he shoots a catch and shoot shot pick and pop whatever I'm like man that's wet like that's going in man. but the the thing that has really opened people's eyes as far as the shooting is that like he's just like Chet has on occasion he's done it with a little bit more frequency where he grabs a board, he takes it up and he hits a pull up three in a defender's eye uh, off the bounce. So that's, you know, kind of the thing that really opened everybody's eyes. Other, the other thing is like as a perimeter defender, he has been just phenomenal, like absolutely terrific. He's six ten, seven foot wingspan. And the way he moves his feet is truly like, you know, a, a guard and, uh, he can cover, I think, any position, uh, position one through five, and and not, you know, not to say you want him to, you know, check point guards uh, on the regular, but he's a guy that you switch him on a point guard, he could swallow them up, and and that's really intriguing. And you can he, he's scheme versatile, so you could play him with so many lineups. And I think in the context of the Rockets, when you look at a guy like Alperin Shangun, who, you know, I think we both agree is going to be a guy who could space the floor pretty consistently in the future. But you look at him, where's his bread and butter, yeah. right? He's killing people down in the post and with his passing. And you are able to play an inside-out yeah, game yeah. with your four or five as Jabari and Shangun, like, And Jabari's killing guys on the perimeter as a floor spacer. That could be a really, really fun fit for Houston. Yeah, and I was checking out your video. You, um, which, by the way, is a great video. I love the old Sports <laughs> Thank Center you. Thank you. intro and the whole Sports <laughs> Center thing. That was great. Um, <laughs> you were talking about one of the things that he needs to work on is not necessarily work on, but something that you know is that he doesn't always get a lot of separation mm-hmm. um, as far as his one-on-one moves. I think you think that's something he can improve on, you know, going forward uh, into the NBA next year. I do, and I think that he's already shown improvements on it from the time I released that video to this conversation we're having today where he's shown some of that that face-up ability take guys off the bounce strong left-hand finish so I definitely believe that I the the amount that he's improved just from you know high school to now and and through 
the way he's improved from the beginning of the college season to this point, uh, what's what makes him so intriguing is it's hard to put a cap on his potential yeah. while also realizing that he has such a safe high floor, you know, and where his high his floor probably isn't just like good role player. Like his floor is, is still probably like high impact, you know, kind of like all-star level player. And that's what makes teams so intrigued by him. And, and the fact that he does fit where the NBA game has, has gone and where it's going. Um, so I, I do think that he's going to be able to, you know, beat guys off the dribble and that might not be his bread and butter, but it's also not something that when you give him the ball in the mid post and he's facing somebody up that you're like, Oh man, I really hope he kicks us out or makes a good decision. Yeah. Like I think that he's going to be able to, to make guys pay. And and before we wrap up the first segment, I just want to ask you real quick. Do you think there's a chance he shoots up to number one? Is it going to be more based on team needs? Cause just because like you say, he does so many different things. Well, do you think it's a chance he can leapfrog uh, Chet and Bancaro? Yeah, there is. There is. It's. I think there's a legitimate chance, especially you know, uh, if he gets into a gym and shoots the lights out in a workout. Or, um, and again, the team needs. It's fluid. There's no consensus anywhere. Even if I personally might feel like there's a consensus, it doesn't mean that NBA front offices are all going to agree with my yeah. assessment. So I, I, I do think that he, uh, he's got every bit the chance of of these top three guys of of getting his name called on the uh, first on draft night, especially because, you know, a team like, um, you know, Detroit, they might look at Isaiah Stewart and Jabari Smith as a really impressive front court to go alongside, you know, Cade. And they, they might not be looking at some of these other guys the same way just as far as fit. And if there's, if there's no consensus as far as who's, who the top talent is, maybe fit becomes a little bit more of a, something they, they take into account. So, you know, it's all going to depend on who's at the top. And, again, there's still a little bit of season left to be played, right? And and uh, yeah. so – but he's got every every shot to go number one. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've just been seeing him go higher and higher on draft boards. So, I, I think either way, uh, the Rockets are going to be in good hands as far as where they're – whoever they get because there's so many different types of players – and also helps them having four draft picks last year. And that's yes. kind of what we're going to be talking about in this second segment. I want to get Corey's opinion on the multiple draft picks the Rockets had last year and the, and how they had performed so far and how you saw them last year before they went into the draft. So please stick around. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And welcome back to the Launchpad Podcast presented by Apollo Media. We are joined by Corey Teleba of No Ceiling NBA and... We're going to be talking about a little bit of the current Rockets in the second segment where the Rockets last year had several uh, first-round draft picks, and pretty much all of them have played a, a good amount except for Uzma Garuba, who's been back and forth between the Rockets and the Vipers. He's back with the Vipers right now, which uh, honestly might be the best thing for him so he can actually get playing time. So we're going to talk more about the other three Rockets rookies who have been getting significant playing time. Um, so, Corey, I, I wanted to start off, of course, with Jalen Green. He was the number two overall pick. Um, you had him, if I'm not mistaken, you had him 
as a number two pick um, last yeah. year in your final draft board. So what have you seen from him um, so far this year? He started off slow, was out 12 games with an injury, came back, was shooting really well, and has struggled the last several games. Do you think that's more of a product of just hitting the rookie wall? He only played 15 games in the G League um, last year. Um, what have you seen from him just overall as far as his uh, game so far with the Rockets? Yeah, I think with a prospect like Jalen Green, and I know like you know you see Cade starting to come on, you see Evan yeah. Mobley who came out of the gate is very impactful. You can start at this point of the year, kind of looking and being like, oh, did we make the right pick? You know, yeah. but Jalen was a guy that kind of was always going to need a little bit of time. Yeah, you know, uh, if you look at the guys who really you would compare him to before the draft, it's like Zach. Levine, you know, those those type of players, it took Zach Levine a really long time yeah. to get to the point where now he looks like he could be an all-NBA guy. So uh, the thing I would just stress is patience because to me, he's on a perfectly fine trajectory. He's in a situation where he's playing on a young team. There's not a lot of, you know, veterans that yeah. are going to shift how a game goes game to game, right? Like Eric Gordon, obviously has been phenomenal. Um, you know, you got Daniel Tice, but there's not like high level veterans like you have maybe in Cleveland uh, who, who are going to help. So I, I don't think there was ever going to be a situation where Jalen Green came in and all of a sudden the, the Rockets were good in one or two years. Like this yeah. was always to me, when you take Jalen Green, you understand that, it's, this is going to be a process. So, you know, I did a video uh, on my channel about Jalen, uh, I don't know, probably a month and a half ago or so, yeah. uh, two months ago, where it was like, you know, should the Rockets be worried? And it was like, no, you, you know, you shouldn't be worried. He's shown such advanced scoring potential, even if he isn't doing it consistently yet. And the thing that I, I, I've been very impressed with that's evolved as the season went along is like he's attacking the basket more and he's getting more comfortable going into the chest of of defenders where at the beginning of the season it was a decent amount of games before he really shot a free throw even yeah zero yeah and you know and now he's he's you know at three and a half a game for the season um and i think he was closer to four like a week ago so yeah that's a pretty good number. So you look at a guy who is getting to the line more frequently is has shown the potential to, I mean, you know, you go back to the step back over Anthony Davis, you know, in the Lakers game, right? Like that is a high level move that you can use in game six of, you know, a conference finals, you know, like, so with Jalen, it's like his selling point is that he has shown, even if he's not hitting shots at the same rate, that he could be that guy in the future and it's going to take time and nothing's guaranteed. And, you know, the Rockets are going to have to build out a team to, to fit and, and yeah. his strengths. Right. Cause I, now they have a lot of pieces right now, the, the roster construction, they have a lot of pieces, but some of those pieces probably won't be around when exactly. Jalen is really in his prime. And that's not a bad thing, but I think if all goes well, and I'm still super high on Jalen. I would not really move him down my board all all that much in a redraft just because, you know, Franz Wagner has come out the gates really well for Orlando. Like, I'm still taking yeah. Jalen over Franz. 
I think that uh, it's just going to take some patience because I, I've seen the special and you're just looking for Flash as a special. And I see that special and I see, and that's what, this is why I love the Chet fit so much. You put him with a, a defensive, you know, a potentially elite, elite, elite defensive center like Chet. Now you have a real foundation to start building your house yeah. on. Yeah, and of course he struggled with his shooting, but I mean, you pretty probably followed him for a while even before the G League. Yeah, is that something the Rockets fans should even be concerned about? Because I mean, shooting kind of comes and goes with every single player in the league. People have been in the league for ten or fifteen years. Um, do you see that as something that eventually, where he can become a thirty-six, thirty-seven percent, maybe in a forty percent three-point shooter? Yeah, I mean. Uh... I think 40% will probably be tough because of the difficulty of shots that he takes. You know, it's not like, uh, like if he was just a guy who was spotting up. Yeah. I think he could be a 40% shooter in the future. I think he's that level of shooter in the long run, but I think with the the level of difficulty of him shooting it off the bounce and, you know, coming off screens and dribble pull-ups, all that, you know, I I think he'll be a guy who's probably around 36 and a half, 37, 38%. Um, And if he gets there, like, that's great because again yeah. he's taking really difficult difficult shots and that's why you draft him because he's a tough shot maker so uh to me he's he's i'm not worried about his shooting at all he he was never at any point like a absolute knockdown elite of the elite shooter it was just like yeah. this guy is an elite shot maker and i think he's gotten way better as a shooter and i, I even think you know, I know he's missing shots as of late, but I think he's raised his release point a little bit, and I think his shot just looks more fluid. So yeah. it's not so much this year about makes or misses. It's about learning what he can and can't do and uh, trying to figure out how to be the best version of himself. And I've I've been uh, completely fine with his developmental path this year, even if it isn't like, you know, uh, he's not getting the same shine that some of the other guys are. Yeah. Uh I, I think he's fine on that end. Yeah, and one more quick thing on on Jalen. Um, it kind of actually concerns another player in the backcourt with him and Kevin Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Do you see them, even though Kevin Porter Jr. has been playing a lot better lately, uh, he's actually been probably one of the best players on the team. Do you see that as a future backcourt? Do you see in any way that Kevin Porter Jr. may not mesh as well with Jalen Green as considering that he's not a traditional point guard. He's more of a score first point guard. Yeah. I don't see them being the ideal pairing in the long run. Um, I think, you know, like if you look at Cleveland's backcourt with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, like, can they play together? Yes. But it wasn't until Colin Sexton got hurt where the keys were handed to Garland and he really took off in a way that people are like, he could be an all-star. Right. Yeah. Uh, to me, like if, if, if it were to work, it would be Kevin Porter jr. Accepting a bench role as like a six man come in, run the offense, play, make it buckets. And I don't know, you know, he's 21. He's in a, he's very young. I don't think that that's the type of thing he wants for himself. And I think he's talented enough that that is not something he needs to pursue at this point of his career. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, it, the quicker they find Jalen uh, a backcourt mate that fits his style of play where it doesn't feel so much like your turn, my turn with the ball in their hands, yeah. uh, the better. 
I don't think they should be in a rush and just give Kevin Porter Jr. away, you know, or cut him like some people in the media were saying after, <laughs> yes. you know, that, that little outburst, right? Yeah. Uh, but, and I don't think there's a rush right now, but eventually I do think they're going to have to make that decision. And I think Jalen's going to win out. But, you know, I, I think the way you have to look at it as a Rockets fan, and because I'm sure Rockets fans are pretty attached to Kevin Porter Jr. because he, yeah. he came in and like was like, wow, you didn't give up a lot for him. So anything that you get for him in the long run, and I think you get a real player or, you know, prospect, whatever, prospect picks, whatever, like you can get a good package for him. Like sometimes, unfortunately, like you play for the name on, on the front, not the back. And, yeah. and that's how the front office has to approach it. I think he's going to be a guy that even if he's not on the team, whatever you end up getting for him will be uh, something that helps the team going forward. So I don't think the backcourt's going to work. But I wouldn't be in a rush to necessarily, you know, move on. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point you make about, I mean, he is, I think people forget he's only 21, you know, yeah. Kevin Porter Jr. And the Rockets, I know fans may be, well, it's kind of funny. Fans want the Rockets not to win because they want the draft pick, but when they lose, right. they're going to be upset. <laughs> so it kind of goes back and forth a lot of times with that. But <laughs> you made a good point about them not being in a rush. I don't think the Rockets' front office is really too terribly concerned about wins and losses this year. So no. not as much no. as fans are, uh, which is a good thing because it's their job to be patient in some yeah. circumstances. So 100%. that's definitely a, a good point on that. And, of course, we're going to move on to everybody's favorite, here in Rocket Land at Alperan Shangun, um, who you were one of the few people that, I mean, I, it was some people talking about Shangun as possibly a sleeper in last year's draft, yeah. but you're one of the few people that actually had him as high as number five yeah. on your draft board. What did you see from him um, last year playing overseas that made you believe that, you know, he should go number five? And, you know, we've seen it play out now that he probably should have went a lot higher, you know, yeah. actually in the lottery. So what did yeah. you see from him um, before last year draft? I mean, I saw a dominant force in, you know, in a, a professional league where he was 18 years old and he was an MVP. And whether you were looking at his raw stats or you're looking at his advanced stats, he was dominant. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, the NBA right now is not all about like being the the most bouncy or uh, that's obviously important like if you can combine skill with bounce but i don't think you need to be bouncy anymore or yeah. or super athletic and although i think shangun is probably a little underrated in that regard cuz he's a little ground bound but i think he has like the fluidity and the you know some of the other athletic stuff that goes unnoticed but i just saw a guy who was so skilled like not just a little bit skilled, like the things he was doing with his footwork. I was just like, he's going to yeah, kill people amazing. with this stuff. He's going to kill people. And the thing that really sold me was the fact that I thought he was one of the best passers in the entire draft. Like yeah. not just for his position. I thought he was one of the best passers, irregardless of position. Yes. The high level looks in transition in the half court, you know, you've seen some of like the crazy behind the back stuff out of the post that he's yeah, done like to the weak side corner. Like, He's an amazing passer, and I looked at his uh, connector. I bought the three-point shot. You know, I also, you know, was lucky enough to see, you know, like workout footage and uh, of him, you know, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, but I just watched the games, and, you know, I, I think his games were probably not always the easiest to find for people that are just, like, casually, yeah. you know, either analyzing the draft, watching. So, But I, I watched 
the games and I was like, this dude's legit. Like, I, and, and I know that sometimes when you're watching international competition, it's a little bit, it's, it's hard to, to rank because you're, you know, with college prospects, for the most part, they're playing similar levels of competition. Right. And yeah. with a guy, the international prospects, you never know, but, uh, you couldn't argue with his production and just the eye test matched the stats. So I was like, uh, this dude's going to be fine. And Oh yeah, he's a better defender than he's going to get credit for because of the way he looks. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned as far as a defender. And he also mentioned as far as his shooting, um, he hasn't taken a lot of shots so far from three point range. Um, but he did shoot, if I'm not mistaken, over 80% um, in his time overseas. Do you, mm-hmm. do you see that translating to the three point shot? Cause look, three point shot seems fine. It just seems like he's still mm-hmm. hesitant to take it so far. Yeah. I think, you know, that's going to be, just growth and maturity. Yeah. Uh, if you look at, you know, maybe a guy like Nick Vucevic, right? He was a yeah. guy who was a post guy, maybe face up mid range very early in his career. And now he's a guy that is operating out on the perimeter. So his game matured. He's a lot more confident in himself and he doesn't have to worry about if I miss shots, am I going to get taken out? Right. Uh, so I think as Alperin's game also matures in that way, he'll feel yes. the confidence in his role to be able to step out and take those shots. And, and you know, you watch it. It looks good. I'm an eye test guy uh, for as far as shooting goes. You, you know, percentages a lot of times can be based on really small sample sizes, and that goes in both directions for guys that knock down shots and at a high clip and for guys who miss uh, some of those shots. If you're not shooting a lot, you got to believe in the eye test and, and the form and, and the touch. And Shangun's got great touch. Like I said, he's good at the line. And uh, to me, it looks good when he lets it fly with confidence. And uh, the the more he reps he gets, the more off seasons he has in an yeah. in NBA environment, understanding what the coaching staff and exit interviews want him to work on, the more I think you'll see that become a more uh, consistent part of his game. Yeah, and one more one more question on Shangun. It's been a huge topic down here in Houston. Uh, not as much lately just because he's coming back from injury, but uh, his overall minutes, the Rockets have pretty much been capping him at 18, 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Do you do you see do you think that's the best strategy considering that of course you don't play as many games overseas and you don't play back to backs and you're not playing, you know, five games in seven nights. Do you think that's the best strategy? Because a lot of people say, well, why is he not playing 25, 30 minutes a game like some of yeah. the other rookies? Um, do you see that as the best strategy, just taking it slow and gradually working his minutes up? Well, if I'm not mistaken, he said that he was he thought it was smart recently, yeah. uh, right? So I think if he's ad- admitting that it's probably pretty smart, I get the frustration. I'm not gonna lie; like I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and Daniel mm-hmm. Tice was on the Bulls last year, <laughs> and I don't know how Rockets fans feel about Tice, but he's uh. one of my all time least favorite Chicago Bulls. <laughs> So I get the frustration of like when you see a guy like Tice who's absolutely not yeah. going to be on the team when Shangun is in his prime, um, is playing a lot of those minutes. Yeah, I would be frustrated by that too. And yeah. if he was playing the 30 minutes a game, right, I think I would pref- probably prefer that if I was a Rockets fan as well or if Shangun was yeah. on my team. But at the end of the day, if the Rockets – they're the ones who see him in practice on the road in games. They're the ones monitoring everything about him up close. If this is how they feel is the best course of action right now, 
fine. For you yeah. know, I, I think that he is going to be awesome irregardless if he's only playing twenty minutes a game right now. Yeah. And uh, you know, going forward, if that became an issue, then you could start worrying. Right now, I don't think it's it's that big of an issue. Even if every time, you know, I'm sure like Rockets fans see him and they're like, he's doing things that, you know, the some of the other guys on the court could only dream of doing. Why yeah. can't we just have him on the court more often? Um, I think bringing him along fairly slowly is is completely fine. Yeah, you mentioned Daniel Tice. If you want to get Rockets fans mad, <laughs> just mention Daniel Tice being in the starting lineup and – uh, you, you can be the ultimate troll when it comes to Rockets fans. If you just mentioned Daniel Tice <laughs> and Christian Wood and starting lineup together, that was uh, that was a very dark time for Rockets fans. So, yeah. Um, well, before we wrap up the second segment, I actually want to get your opinion on one more rookie that's actually mm-hmm. probably been the best overall rookie um, if you just look at the way he's been playing, and Josh Christopher. And you mentioned that you had him pretty high on your draft board. Yes. There was a lot of people that actually were shocked that the Rockets did draft him when they did um and he's like i said he's been he spent some time down in the g league he worked his way slowly into the rotation but just overall defense and offense and consistency he's probably been the best rookie overall if you factor in defense and offense what did you see in josh christopher you know in his time in arizona state that made you believe that you know he should be drafted a lot higher than he was ultimately last year well, one, you mentioned his defense. I thought he was yeah. phenomenal on defense. And a lot of times, you know, like Josh Christopher had the label. He was like kind of a chucker. That was that yeah. was kind of the perception of him uh, by a lot of analysts. And a lot of those guys don't defend, right? But yeah. I looked at him as an athlete, as a strong physical presence at the guard position with length and like real dog in him. Like he took pride in his defense. Yeah. So that was one thing that I thought this is a two-way guy, right? Second, I thought like, okay, let's say he is a chucker. Like he's able to get to his shots and his spots pretty effortlessly in college. Um, And if he could be a two-way player who can get hot in a hurry, those guys don't really miss like as far as draft picks goes. Like there's being a high level heat check six man guy is still a very valuable role in the NBA. And that's kind of where yeah. I saw his floor as. So I said, if if that's what his floor is, and I kind of looked not exactly the same because I think he's a much better defender, but like that's another reason why I was high on Cam Thomas in Brooklyn because those yeah. kind of heat check guys are valuable. And then offensively, one, at Arizona State, he, he played in the backcourt with a guy uh, named Alonzo Verge Jr., who is now a transfer at Nebraska, um, and he won an award that I uh, – it's kind of a joke award that I have on on my podcast called the Ashton Hagens Award. And it goes to the uh, point guard that I hate watching the most while scouting another player on that team. <laughs> yes. Because he just made – he just doesn't – it was like he set the tone for the Arizona State team to just be like, if anybody else gets the ball, you better get a shot up because you ain't getting it back. And <laughs> yeah. now you're you're seeing the same thing in Nebraska where he transferred to with a, a draft prospect named Bryce McGowan's, who is a guy potentially, uh, you know, in the 20s to 30 range of the draft. And I think yeah. that's affecting his stock a little bit, although I like Josh Christopher a lot more, more than I like McGowan's. But his athleticism, the way he moved kinesthetically, you know, I did a, a, a little segment on, on my show during his episode where I went through the way that they move on the court, very Donovan Mitchell. 
Yeah. And even defensively, the length, the bounce, the weak side shot blocking, all that stuff, I, I was like, you know, he might not be the shooter that Donovan is, but he's also, I don't think, going to be a slouch. I was just really high on him. I thought that he read the game really well. Like, I, I just, I didn't see the same thing that other people saw. I just saw this guy who whose game was made so much more to, to fit in the NBA versus a college system. Yeah, and one of the things, because I cover the uh, Vipers as well, that I noticed yep. about him is uh, they ran him, the few games he was there, he ran exclusively as the point guard. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that he'll be able to continue to um, develop uh, at the NBA level? Because it seems like he does have good court vision and is a willing passer. Do you see that as something that he can continue to develop that maybe he becomes more of a combo guard? Yeah, I do. I do. I do think that. And I thought he showed some flashes of that in college as well. Um, not Maybe not as consistently as some of the other stuff, but just flashes that you that intrigue you, that make you think, go, oh, I wonder. And I think the G League is like a great opportunity for to, to grow those parts of your games. I think the Rockets have done a good job, even if it isn't like the best strategy for winning basketball games, which like you said, yeah. it's probably not their main strategy right now. I think giving a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. the opportunity to run the team, giving those reps to Jalen Green, giving the opportunity for Josh Christopher to develop those things. It's like, yeah, in the short run, if I if Josh Christopher went to the point for the Rockets, do I think it would work out well? I don't. But in the long run, if you're just giving him reps and having him learn, do I think it's going to pay dividends five years from now? I do. Like Zach Levine, he came into the league and Minnesota gave him the reins as a point guard. Yeah, And he does. he's not playing that role now. But I'd like to think that some of the things that he learned that he could and couldn't do in those early years probably helped him grow as a player. And I think that's kind of the same strategy the Rockets have with their three guards, and and that includes Josh Christopher. Yeah, that's a great point on Zach Levine, because I know a lot of people sometimes get their feelings hurt if you say, well, Kevin Porter Jr. may not be a point guard. He may have to switch positions, but that's a good point. Just because you come in as one thing doesn't mean you're necessarily going to finish in that same position. And Zach Levine is the perfect um, example of that because I almost totally forgot that he did play point guard for Minnesota. Yeah. That seems so long ago now, um, oh the my Minnesota God. days. So <laughs> I'm sure Chicago Bulls fans like yourself are happy that he's Very, yeah. now in Chicago. So <laughs> uh, that's going to wrap it up for the second segment. And the last segment we're going to be talking about um, more general NBA stuff, but I also want to get Corey's opinion on some of the other rookies. I know Rockets fans, you may not always want to hear about Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley, but there are <laughs> other rookies in the NBA that have been playing well, along with you know Scotty Barnes as well. Uh, I want to get Corey's opinion on that and just some more just general NBA talk. So please stick around. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And continue here on the Launchpad Podcast presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and drop a review or leave us some stars. And this last segment, um, I want to get Corey's opinion on some of the other Rookies in the NBA that have been actually be playing a lot better than they did, specifically Kay Cunningham at the start of the year. Um, Evan Mobley has been, been playing well pretty much all year uh, before and after the injury. Um, so, Corey, I want to start off with uh, Kay Cunningham because it was a lot of Rockets fans that had some hope uh, before the draft that the Rockets may still get that number one pick. It didn't come to that. They got Jalen Green. I think Rockets fans are fine with that. But 
as far as what you see from Kay Cunningham, um, he, of course, was a consensus number one. He started off slow. He missed a lot of time before the season started, even during the, uh, as the season started. Uh, what have you seen from him lately to where he's just went from um, struggling at the beginning of the year to now he's right back at the top as far as candidates for rookie of the year? I think he's just gotten comfortable with the speed of the game. Like you said, he missed time and like you're going from never playing an NBA game or really like high level basketball like that to being thrust right into this role where you're the number one pick, a lot of pressure, a lot of high expectations, and you have to jump in mid season when guys are already comfortable. So like him starting out slow, not super shocking, right? Uh, To go along with that, you know, one of his selling points pre-draft was like, he's a playmaker as well. So if he's a guy, he plays with Detroit, Detroit is like one of the worst finishing teams in the league with lack of shooters. So now like his playmaking doesn't necessarily look like it translated. There was a little bit of talk of whether or not that was real in, in college because he had a, you know, a lot of turnovers as well. Um, And I think he's just gotten comfortable and you're starting to see like the pull-up ability is real. The shot, making has has really been impressive as of late um he's had big moments in the clutch when the pistons are actually in position to have clutch moments uh and the playmaking has started to look a little bit more fluid and that's what happens with these high level guys the more they play they start seeing and understanding what they can and can't do and i think that is no different for Cade. and while his raw numbers still aren't like the best percentage wise you're starting to see him come on and be the guy that everybody kind of expected him to be and that's what makes the 2021 draft so special. Like, you know, we just spent a lot of time talking about all the Rockets, high-level rookies, and now we have all these other guys to talk about and and Cade being one of them. Yeah, and another one which, um, I mean, Rockets fans know because we went back and forth with a lot of people. It was a green game, then it was the Mobley mob, and I was definitely all in on getting Mobley until we Uh pretty much got to the point where we saw the Rockets. They were going for Jalen Green. They had made their minds up. but. What have you seen from – have you been surprised by anything about Evan Mobley? Because, I mean, it seemed like he's doing everything that he did in college. He's doing it in the NBA. He's impacting the game on defense. But he also seemed like his offensive game is a little bit further along than a lot of people thought it would be already. So what have you seen yeah. from, like, Evan Mobley so far? Well, it's funny. I think even Evan Mobley, like, you know, because he didn't have, like, the best summer league, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things, and I know he said himself, is he realized – after summer league, he he went back to the team and was like, I need to get stronger. Can we, yeah. like, get in the, the gym? And I think that added strength has really helped him. Um, obviously, I, I don't think anybody had a question about what he was going to be defensively. If you, yeah. if you watched him, you knew he was going to be that. Offensively, the passing was always there. That was the most intriguing part of his offensive game, similar to Shangun. But he's looked comfortable, like, handling the physicality of the big man position. Yeah. And that added strength. So I think him not really struggling from with that because the skills are always there. Um, I do think that you know Mobley also has the benefit, like not that anybody really really thought the Cavs were going to be where they're at now, right? Yeah. But you know he he also doesn't have the entire weight of the defense resting on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, and and being Jared in a, a front yeah. court with Jared Allen, I think has really helped him be who he is and not have to worry granted you know he was always going to be awesome defensively and i'm sure if jared allen wasn't there cleveland would still be a a pretty good defensive team but i think that's really helped him and 
I think sometimes we ha- you, you have to kind of I, I do think he'd probably go one in a redraft and he's earned that um but I uh, I think that sometimes we also have to to look at some of these guys and be like all right their situation kind of helped them along contribute to winning basketball a little bit more yes. he's got a guy like Darius Garland who made the jump in his year three you know he's he's got uh another veteran Laurie Markinen to to be in the front court with and they have Kevin Love on the scene like the, they have guys that contribute to winning basketball I don't know if Mobley would be contributing in the same way if he you know was on Detroit instead of Cade yeah um you know I don't think Detroit would have that many more wins even uh if they would have really a, a solid future but Mobley's been amazing I think he's been the best rookie and he has kind of all the all the things I did worry about a little bit with him he's uh he's proven that they don't need to be worries and he's also I think one of the guys that has shown like the direction of the NBA is is headed towards this direction and maybe if you're a, a little bit on the fence about Chet maybe Mobley should be kind of the blueprint that helps ease those concerns a little bit yeah, that's a great point you bring up about situation because I think a lot of time people try to make every situation the exact same. Like Jalen Green's in a totally different situation. Yes. He doesn't have the veteran leadership around him as much. I mean, you would have that if you had a person like John Wall playing, but John mm-hmm. Wall's not playing, which is a whole right. other podcast. <laughs> um, but like you said, Evan Mobley has um, uh, Ricky Rubio. He has a Kevin yes. Love. He has other players around him. And Jared Allen helps helps him tremendously on defense because like you say he doesn't have to take the full weight on himself and i think that's a big um point that needs to be pointed out more is situation makes a big difference and a lot of time that goes into you know how a rookie can perform and going forward just like last year um it took anthony edwards a while to get his game going a lot Correct. of people were starting to question him at the beginning of the season now we <laughs> see where anthony edwards is so i'll say all that to say to Rockets fans, just fans in general, just to be patient that Jalen yes. Green will be fine. <laughs> Sometimes He's, it takes time. Sometimes yes. it takes time. To quote my, you know, my my no ceilings partner, that's kind of his go-to saying is sometimes it takes time. Yes. And that's the, definitely the case here. The Rockets are, are getting better, but they still have the worst record in the league for a reason. So everybody yeah. need to take that in mind. Uh, one more <laughs> question before I get into just the NBA overall. What's been one rookie that surprises you has surprised you the most it doesn't necessarily be a a rookie that's been in the lottery but a a rookie that you know has had a really good season that maybe a lot of people are not talking about um hmm. i i really like what i've seen from bones highland in denver yeah um that was a guy i really liked coming into the draft i just thought uh, similar to josh christopher like he had that spark plug energy and they're not the same players um, Chris Duarte has yes. been really, really intriguing, uh, who, you know, he was so old. He was like 24 on, you know, coming into the draft where yeah. people were like, you, you can't take a, an older player that high <laughs> yeah. and he shouldn't be a lottery guy. But I think he's done a really good job of showing people that like skill is skill and like not every developmental pathway is the same. And, you know, yeah. he had a, his backstory was a little different. Uh, so th- those guys I've really enjoyed watching. Um, I I think that, I mean, you know, he was a he was a lottery guy, but a lot of people were a little bit lower on jo- Jonathan Kaminga towards the yeah. later, like as we got closer to the draft night. And I think he's shown how 
impactful he could be one day. And he's a guy I was really rooting for. He played high school basketball down the road for me um, yeah. for a year. So like I was, and and I never really wavered on him as a high impact guy. I was, I was excited about his potential. So th- those guys I've really enjoyed, enjoyed watching. Um, and there's a lot of guys that I, I can't wait to see get opportunities as they, they grow their game. You know, Jared Butler's playing behind a bunch of guys in, um, yeah, in Utah, in, in yeah. Utah. And, you know, in a loaded backcourt, I, I think he's going to help them down the line. Josh Giddy's been fun. Davion Mitchell's my guy. I th- I love yeah. you know I I I know that Sacramento situation is there's a lot of turmoil there from yes, at, at, at every yeah. level you know and who <laughs> knows always. what they're gonna I don't know what they're gonna look like in you know after the deadline but I think he's gonna be a high level player for a long time. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a really really fun class of of guys. Yeah, that's true. And like you said, with Davion Mitchell, I mean, he may make Fox expendable. That's kind of the way it's looking. Like yeah. they're kind of shopping him. So yeah, it's just, it's just it was just so many different players in this last year draft. And I think um I think it's gonna kind of be like that in this upcoming draft. Uh one question before we go, I want to ask you about just the NBA overall. Of course, you say you're a Bulls fan. Um, the Bulls have been one of the surprise teams of the year. Um, do you think that they have a chance um, in the Eastern Conference, considering that we have no idea what Brooklyn's going to be from mm. one day to the next? And then yep. Philadelphia is still in a mess with Ben Simmons. Um, then you still have Miami Heat, who I don't know, they seem to still be underperforming. Uh, where, where do you see the Bulls just overall in aspect of where they can end up in the East? And of course, you still have Milwaukee, who's still yeah. playing great. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think they're the favorites. Um, I think for them to be like legit title contenders, I think they're a move away. Um, I do think that in a playoff series, having a combination of DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine is something that not a lot of teams can compete with. Cause I think both those guys are pretty, uh, consistently going to be in the 25 point per game range, tough shots. A lot of times that's what, you know, the playoffs come down to, and I don't, there's not a ton of teams. Obviously Brooklyn has that. Uh, they have three of those guys or I guess two and a half since Kyrie can only play, you know, <laughs> exactly. half the time. Um, but, uh, which if Brooklyn might be playing for, uh, you know, not getting home court yeah. <laughs> advantage, right? Yeah, game seven on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I think that it's and it you know what like the bull front office is so new they've only been around for a couple of years and like yeah. we don't know necessarily what their draft philosophy or what their team building philosophies are but they were aggressive last deadline trading for Vucevic yeah. um, it seems like they're ready to win now but they've only made a couple of draft picks uh, I think they've done well on both of them but. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard for a new front office. It's easy for them to come in and trade away the old regime guys, right? Yeah. But do they have it in them? Do they have the stones to trade Patrick Williams, who's the guy they took it yeah. fourth, to upgrade their roster? And then if they do, you know, is Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes the level of player that you're willing to give up on kind of your crown jewel draft pick? And that's yeah. kind of what I'm really monitoring the next few weeks because – you know, sometimes it's easy to make those aggressive moves when it ain't your guys, but when it's your guy, yeah. do you feel that new front office attachment? And uh, that that's kind of where I'm at, because I think if we get a kind of one of those power forward kind of guys, I do think that we have a chance that it, it's very wide open this year. Uh, but as of now, I'd say, you know, I'd be afraid of Milwaukee. I'd yeah. be afraid of a fully healthy Brooklyn team. I think Miami's a tough out. Uh 
it wouldn't you know wouldn't shock me if the Bulls lost to any of those teams. It wouldn't shock me if they beat the, any of those teams as well. Yeah. It's it's up in the air. But I think if they make one more move, now you could start looking at them as like legit title contenders. And one more quick thing on the Bulls. It's been kind of a thing going around as far as Christian Wood. Would they have any interest in Christian Wood as um, far as a power I, forward replacement? I, I do think that as a player, they would. I, yeah. I think that he brings a lot of skills. I think he could probably play in the front court with Vucevic. I mean, shoot, last year the Bulls were starting Tice and, and Vucevic <laughs> together at, at times, yeah. which was unbelievably frustrating. But I, <laughs> I'm sure I think that Christian Wood is uh, a little bit more versatile to fit in the front court than uh, Daniel Tice was. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when Vucevic is off the floor, you could play Christian Wood at center and feel comfortable with the, the things that he could do. I think they would be interested. I don't know. You know, I, you, you guys probably have a better feel for his reputation that he has with his attitude and if yeah. he would if he would buy into the team construct you know or is he in a losing situation and that's kind of why you see some of the the, the attitude stuff I, I i don't know how front offices kind of feel about yeah. him and if he's the type of personality uh you would want to bring into the bulls based on that because i think that the team chemistry is really excellent right now and if they're going to yeah. shake things up would they you know, uh, do it for a guy like him. I don't know if, he, you know, they would give up a Patrick Williams for, for yeah. Christian Wood. And if you're like, why does Kobe White really intrigue the Rockets? So then now you're saying you got to make it some kind of three way package. And yeah. so I, I don't know, but I, I think as a talent, he fits pretty well with the, what the Bulls want from that spot. Yeah. And, and you, I'm, I'm glad you brought about the attitude because <laughs> I think once that last situation happened, which, you know, coincidentally enough happened the same night as the Kevin yeah. Porter Jr. incident. I think that that may have tarnished him a little bit as far as front offices and may have heard of his trade value. Not necessarily I think they should trade him, but I can see the merits in some people that are saying why he should be traded because of his upcoming contract. And he's going to be yeah. wanting more money than the $13, $14 million a year he's making. As far as talent-wise, especially the last several games, he's been great. He's been yeah, he can ball. the best player on the Rockets. <laughs> but um, as far as attitude-wise, yeah, that is a good question because – it may just be he's frustrated with playing on a losing team. They've yeah. been losing ever since he's gotten here. They were the worst team last year. They have the worst record this year. So it's kind of hard was to bad say. Too. Detroit, and Detroit was bad was too. Bad so too before that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. So it, it may be a case where that may be one of his character flaws, or it may just be a case of just losing situations. Frustration. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I can understand from uh, other fan bases when <laughs> you're seeing that <laughs> incident, like, well, maybe we don't want Christian Wood, but um, we'll see how that plays out. Like you said, the trade deadline is right around the corner. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Also, the Western Conference, um, we all know the Lakers have been underperforming. Phoenix Suns have been the class of pretty much the NBA the entire year. Golden State was up there, but they have been struggling even going yep. into the game last night, um, who do you see as the favorite in the West? And do you think it's still Phoenix? They seem like the most complete team. Oh, man. I, I think it's hard to argue against them, but yeah, I guess it's all going to depend on Draymond's health. Yeah, I think true. with a fully healthy Golden State roster, and I know Clay is working his way back. Like I, I don't think they're concerned about wins and losses so much right now. Uh, gun to my head, I'd probably still pick Golden State okay. uh, in a playoff series. I think they've 
they've been there. You know, the Phoenix guys last year, that was valuable experience. They're loaded at every spot. They have guys that can come through in the clutch. Uh, I probably still take Golden State projecting, you know, into May, June, which is four or five months from now. Clay yeah. feel more comfortable. Um, hopefully, dream on back healthy. And if they were fully healthy, I would. I probably still take Golden State just from their championship experience. And, and speaking of Golden State, I know you follow James Wiseman a lot. You know, yes. coming out of college, do you think they get anything eventually from him this year? Uh, just really just overall, because it, it seemed like a lot of times last year he was just kind of out of place, you know, in Steve Kerr's offense, you know, mm-hmm. offensive philosophy, really. Yeah, I hopefully I mean, it's hard to tell how long it'll take him to get acclimated coming off this long injury, getting yeah. thrust right into the, the heart of the season for whenever he does return. You know, I still fully believe in his talent. Um, and I think that, you know he's probably a little underrated for how he played as a rookie. Like he was pretty productive, even if yeah. he wasn't nailing all of the schemes and, and everything, which is like, that's just rookie stuff, yeah. you know, like especially a rookie who had played three games in, in college. Um, and then, you know, you deal with all the stuff with the pandemic, like it's been a while. So it's going to take him a little bit to get acclimated. I don't know if this year you're really going to feel it, but, I would hope that he comes back, is able to contribute a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I think Steve Curry even said, like, when he does come back, they have to change things up, make him more of, like, a, a lob threat and, you know, yeah. less of a read-and-react guy. And, and that's hard enough to do when you have a training camp, but let alone get thrust into the middle of the season. But I, I still fully believe in his talent, and I think that he's a guy that just because he's so physically gifted and talented, like, he could have an impact even if he doesn't fully grasp everything going on around him all the, at all times. And if you look at if you're, I think it's a, a some uh, he's the type of player they don't have on their roster, yeah. so it's a, a a different look to give, and he's a guy that um you know if he can give you 15, 20 minutes a game in a playoff series, off the bench like that could be a that could be a positive for them going forward. So I just hope he gets healthy, and then you know next year could have a full off season so we could finally start seeing the type of player I think he's capable of being. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And like you said about just Draymond not being there, that's a huge piece missing, and we really don't know how he's going to come back from the injury. So it's going to be really interesting, you know, going yeah. down the end of the year. And, I mean, I guess that's the one, I guess you could say, positive thing, at least about being a Rockets fan. We, I'm at least – I'm not stressed because the Rockets <laughs> – we know what the Rockets are going to be this year, and I can kind yeah. of sit back like last year and watch the playoffs and – not be overly stressed like I was during the Harden years. I think that's why I don't have any hair left because I pretty much pulled it all out. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting watching just the, the rest of the season play out. Yeah. Um, before we wrap it up, Corey, why don't you let everybody know again where they can find all your different content? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Tulliba, uh, on YouTube as the NBA Draft Dude, and at noceilings.substack.com for uh, daily written pieces along with the rest of uh, the No Ceilings team uh, Monday through Friday for free. Yeah, again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you have, like I said, some of the best draft content out there. I've been following you since early last year. So, like I said, I definitely appreciate you coming on. And we will definitely have more draft shows coming up. So, uh, we will definitely have you back on uh, pretty soon. Looking forward to it, man. I appreciate you, uh, you know, asking me back on. That uh, means, uh, you know, did uh, did all right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, like I said, we're always looking for draft content here because we're all kind of draft movies here in Houston yep. um, because we were just so used to being in the playoffs. And 
that's not the case anymore. And hopefully yeah. um, that won't go on too much longer. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, so that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow your Apollo HOU for blogs, video, merch, and podcasts, more original Houston sport content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Launchpad Podcast covering your Houston Rockets.